0: All right, let's go to the book of John chapter eight. We're gonna be reading John chapter eight verses 23 through 36. Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. That I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Father, would you help us? Thank you for your word, and thank you for the great joy it is to to gather, to be in a place like this, to set aside time and turn our attention to you. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher now as we consider these words, your word. Would you speak to us? Would you help us? In Jesus' name, amen. I think, I feel like I say this virtually every other week, but there's certain portions of the Bible uh, that when you get to, you're like, oh, this is, this is classic Jesus. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know when you, when you begin to hear the words of Jesus being quoted by Marvel movies, like Jesus has successfully penetrated popular culture. Terrible movie Kind of a good movie But terrible movie Talking Eternals Do you remember that? They quote Jesus at the very end of the movie Anyway This is class Right, right Yeah, I have all sorts of opinions About that Um, If you're like What on earth are you talking about? Don't worry about it Don't worry about it You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. For sure, whether you grew up in church or not, I think everyone is like, yeah, I've I've heard that. I've heard that. Man, how does that work? What does that mean? And what what truth specifically is Jesus talking about? And the freedom, yeah, but how? What exactly does this freedom meant to feel like and and look like as I live out my life and and all of that? Big questions, big questions. Um, And of course, that's just one little line from this this whole chunk of Jesus discourse. Um, And there is layer upon layer to be sure that we we could explore. I wanna break this into three parts just for simplicity's sake. The problem, the solution, and the process. You're welcome, John. (laughs) The problem, the solution, and the process. Verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sin unless you believe. Now, the Bible says a lot about um, the fact that there is a problem. There's a problem with the world we live in, and there's nothing controversial about that. Um, I, I, don't, I, I believe, regardless of your worldview, um, your religious leaning, your experience in life, I think we can all agree that oh, the world is, is absolutely not as it should be. It's why we're all working to grow and get better and and learn and, and develop so that we can, we can all enjoy a better life because this, this ain't exactly it. And so there is a problem with the world. That, that part I really believe is not controversial at all. But the problem as Jesus describes it at least here, now this is quite unique, this is very unique. The problem is that there is a separation between heaven and earth. It was not always so. In the beginning, it was as if there was this, uh, this overlap, this fusion between creation and the kingdom of heaven. God himself would walk with his, his people in the garden and they would enjoy each other, this, this uninterrupted kind of relationship. But something did go wrong, and a problem did develop. And the way Jesus articulates it here is that it's a matter of separation between heaven and earth. Which means that the problem, biblically, isn't so much a matter of uh, knowledge, not so much a matter of technology, It's not necessarily political. Um, The problem's problem's more to do with proximity. The problem's more to do with uh, intimacy, if I can put it this way. Connectedness, relationship. The problem is that once upon a time, heaven and earth was connected. God and his creation were one. And Jesus' prayer is that we would become one again because the problem is one of proximity. The problem is that the relationship that God has had created us for has broken. And I love that, I love that. There's a lot of different ways we could come at the problems of life in this world, the brokenness that we experience. But biblically, Jesus describes the problem as one of uh, relationship proximity. Heaven is now far off. What is the solution? What is the solution? Let's, let's say for argument's sake, we can agree that there is a problem and that the problem isn't necessarily that we just don't have enough information yet. We haven't achieved the technology necessary to never ever get sick again, because it seems like technology is good, but inevitably we're gonna keep dropping bombs. Education is super good, but how much do we really need to know before we stop killing each other? Before bigotry just sort of fades into the background or racism just goes away. It's a relational problem. And let's say, let's say we can agree to that, for argument's sake. Let's, let's say Jesus is on to something. I believe he is. What is the solution? What is the solution? What if we, what if, what if we all got on a rocket and went to Mars and started over? And he, who, who would be into that? All right, I'll let Elon know. This is the idea, right? Let's go and start over. Do you think it would go any different? Of course it would be different, but would it really be any different? (laughs) Have humans really changed all that much? This, this This is a massive debate. What is the solution? What is the solution? Jesus said, unless you believe, this is verse 24, unless you believe that I am he, this separation will inevitably result in death. Okay. Sin is the popular word the Bible uses for, um, well, there's a lot of different ways to define sin. I would, I would want to emphasize the relational aspect of sin, when sin is at work in people's lives, it inevitably results in separation. That separation will manifest in death. All sorts of death, but fundamentally a relational kind of death, an eternal separation that results in isolation, loneliness, a disconnectedness, which is when people begin to die without relationship, without affection, without knowing that you are loved, you will die. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And who is he? This is what they ask Jesus. Who are you? Who are you? And he says, I'm who, I'm exactly who I've been telling you from the beginning. They had no idea who he was talking about. From the beginning, I've been trying to tell you. Now, if, if you've been paying attention, even just a little bit, you'll notice that John, the Gospel writer John, he's constantly dropping these little like clues, these little, it's almost like theolog- theological hyperlinks in the story. And when you see the word beginning, you're like, ah, that's, I remember that. In fact, that's where we began. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word logos, and you're like, ah, beginning. That's Genesis one, in the beginning. Okay, so John's doing it again. He's using these words. Jesus says, I am who I've been telling you I am from the beginning. From the beginning, God has been busy revealing himself to the creatures. He wants us to know him. From the beginning, God has been trying to tell us who he really is. So who is he? Who is he? Unless you believe that Jesus is he. This, um, I believe this is probably as close as John, the Gospel writer John, comes to, uh, to unveiling the identity of Jesus. You know the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 16, Luke 9 and Mark 8, there's a a moment that each one of those gospel authors record, and it's when Jesus, um, he turns to his disciples, and he says, a lot of people are hypothesizing about who I really am. And some say this, some say the other, that and everything else. Who do you say that I am? And of course, they, in my mind, they, they have a little huddle. And Peter's like, right, I got it, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God, and Jesus turns to him and he says, Peter, I, good on you. My father in heaven has revealed this to you. And then immediately, he goes on to talk about how he's gonna to go to the cross, die, and then three days later, come back to life. And of course, that just adds to the confusion. Because no one can, I mean, even Peter himself, he's like, no way, that's like, that's like the devil's plan. And Jesus is like, no, like, get behind me, Satan. It's a bad, bad, awkward moment. This is John's unveil moment. Only well, instead of Jesus asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? The crowd themselves ask Jesus, who are you? Who are you, really? Who are you? And in verse 28, Jesus says, unless... Or when you have lifted up the son of man, that's a a title that Jesus often refers to himself as, another hyperlink, Daniel 7, check it out. Unless you've lifted up the son of man, okay. or when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, lifting up the son of man. That's a reference to being lifted up and crucified on a Roman cross. This is John's super cryptic unveil moment. Who is Jesus? Well, you'll know who he is when he's been lifted up because who he is has everything to do with his mission to go to the cross and die for us so that we won't die in our sins, so that we won't spend eternity separated from our Father. This is who Jesus is. What if you just believe that Jesus Existed. It's not a bad start. Um, but even demons believe that Jesus existed. What, what specifically about Jesus would cause us to experience this salvation, this restoration of intimacy with God. It says work on the cross. Um, one of my favorite pictures, allusions in the Old Testament of this, um, the, the son of man being lifted up, it's back in Genesis 22, it's a rather famous story, if you're familiar with the Old Testament at all, uh, Abraham, the father of faith, takes his son Isaac, and he says, God has told me to ascend the mountain that we might worship and make a sacrifice to God. So he takes Isaac and father and son, ascend the mountain to make a sacrifice of atonement that God might be um, blessed, pleased, that they might worship him. Together they ascend the mountain that heaven might come down. This is a picture of what Jesus, who he is, and what he meant to do for us. Father and son, God the Father and the Son of God ascending the mountain that heaven, once again, might come down, that that gap might be closed, that we might experience intimacy with our creator. This is the solution to our problem. How are you guys doing so far? This gets us into some like rather abstract stuff, like okay, I think I've heard that a million times. What does it mean exactly? What, besides just sort of mentally ascending to this, this, this idea, this theological fact, what does it look like lived out? Let's talk about the process, the process. So it says, we're told that many believed Jesus He's saying all of these things, and it says that many believed. Now what exactly they believed, I God only knows. I think they're probably a lot like some of us in this room. You're like, I believe. God help me believe. I'm constantly wondering if I'm even like believing the right things and thinking that maybe if I just believe right enough then, then somehow I would experience this life, this intimacy, this freedom that God keeps promising me in this life and eternity to come. But what exactly am I meant to believe? And it's okay if you don't have it all figured out. We're in good company. I don't even think the disciples really understood, like, the extent to what Jesus was talking about when he said he was going to the cross to die as a atoning sacrifice for their sins, ours, and the world's, and that he would rise again. Like, what does it all mean? And so for hundreds and even thousands of years, they meditated on these events, By the leading of the Holy Spirit, they began to articulate it, in John's case, in, in the most poetic form. But they believed nonetheless. And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, he said this, this is our title track. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There you go. Simple, right? If you abide in my word, okay? Abide. I think we've unpacked it a few times already, but let's, let's unpack it once again. Um, just so you guys know, I'm really smart and I've been to seminary. Allow me to throw some Greek at you. Um, abide is the Greek word, may know. It pops up several times. Um, throughout the Bible actually, Um, but in John, we see it for the first time in John chapter one. I've talked about this before. Uh, Jesus shows up on the scene. John the Baptist, a different John, he sees Jesus and exclaims, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. He's the one, the son, who's to ascend the mountain with his father. There he is. And a couple of John's disciples hear him say it and they leave John and begin following Jesus. They're stalking Jesus, he turns around and says to the guys, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? And they ask, Jesus, where are you abiding? Where are you meno? Where are you residing? Where do you live? Where do you spend your time? Where do you dwell? Where do you remain when the sun's gone down? And do you remember what Jesus says? Come and see. Oh, I love that. If it was me, I would have been like, give me your email address. I've got a a link I'll send you. It explains everything. (laughs) Or come to church on Sunday and, and just... I'll, I'll introduce you to someone who can, who can break it down. Which is fine. I mean, I reckon those aren't like bad things. But Jesus says, come and see. Totally experiential. Ooh, I love that. That's, that's what I'm, like that's what I lean in. Like, oh, come and see. That's, he's inviting them to come and hang out with him at his house and we're told that it was getting late so the disciples ended up spending the night. How, what, what nerve? Hey, where are you staying, Jesus? Well, come find out. It's getting a bit late. Do you mind if we crash on the couch? So they actually abide with Jesus. That's, that's the word. That's the picture we should have in our minds. If you abide in my word, so if you dwell within, remain in, spend the night in my word, Word, the word word, lagos, another Greek word, shows up in the book of John like 40 some odd times, a lot. In fact, it shows up in John more than anywhere else in the New Testament. This is a, a, a hyperlink if there ever was one. In the beginning was the word. If you abide in my word, what is he doing? What is the word? I was having a conversation with Raya last week and I was asking, we were talking about this. I was like, let me, let me bounce some ideas off of you. Right? I've been thinking about this idea of abiding in Jesus' word. And what do you think he, he means by that? And, and you uh, quite rightly said, well, I, I, isn't it just mean like you should read your Bible every day? And in my mind, I'm like, allow me to complicate it for you. <laughs> now, I reckon if, if all you ever do is actually just Learn the the discipline of reading, meditating upon, memorizing the Bible every day. That's that's some pretty good abiding right there. That's some real good abiding. But it's possible to actually do all that and miss the point. Elsewhere, uh, Jesus was talking with some. Some people, and he told them, you search the word, the scriptures, daily, but you fail to recognize that they're talking about me. So it's not just about reading the words and sort of like amassing religious information. There's more to it than that i believe what jesus is saying when he or when john in particular uses that word logos we're really meant to start connecting some dots in the beginning was the word that's where john started in the beginning what's the beginning that takes us back to genesis it's the creation narrative it's the origin story and what jesus is telling those who believed which might apply to us is that what i want you to do is draw draw near Get really close. Lean in and listen carefully. Be where I am. Spend the night at my house. And listen to me retell the story of creation. And jump in to the retelling of your origin story. That's what Jesus is saying. And what happens when we do that? We begin to know the truth, but not just in some sort of abstract cognitive sense. We begin to know the truth which is embodied in Jesus in this like, deeply personal, relational way. And we begin to hear Jesus tell us the story of who we really are, who God created us to be. It's the creation story or the recreation story being told by Jesus and he's inviting us to inhabit it. And we begin to abide in the word that way when we lean in real far. And we're like, all right, Jesus, I'm listening. I'm listening. The sun's gone down. My my eyelids are getting heavy. Tell me the story. And it takes this idea, this question of who are you? Remember the question Jesus asked his disciples? Who do you say that I am? And it prompts us to ask Jesus the exact same question. Jesus, who do you say that I am? Won't you tell me the story of who I really am? Because of who you are. Because of what you've done for me. What happened when you ascended that mountain? What happened when you were lifted up that you might close the gap? Won't you tell me the story? Who am I? I asked Isaac if I could, my son Isaac, if I could have permission to share this. And he said yes. So every morning, I give my 12-year-old son a ride to school. It's about a 10-minute drive. And we talk about all sorts of things. Sometimes we get quite deep. Sometimes we just talk about math for 10 minutes. Yesterday, or no, Friday. He said, Papa, can we talk about math? I said, all right. What do you know about imaginary numbers? (laughs) So I asked him a question what's the square root of negative nine? And he was just like, oh my gosh, oh my. He was like getting all fidgety in the car. He's like, oh my gosh, what the, oh my gosh. So we talked about, some of you are like, what on earth? This has nothing to do with what I was talking about, okay? Other than, other than, we have very deep conversations in the car ride, and he asks me a question without fail, without fail, every single morning that I give him a ride to school. He looks to me and he says, Papa, do I look good today? And I look at him and I say, my boy, you look good. (laughs) He works hard on his hair. I don't know where he got that. What's he really asking me? Papa, what do you think about me? Am I handsome? Do you like me? Am I worthy of affection? Papa, who am I? What do you think about me? Whether you're 12 or 72, that is the question we're all asking. Father, who am I? We can spend our whole lives trying to piece together some sort of identity for ourselves. It's what we do, it's what we must. It's how we function. What if there was a God in heaven who loved us so much that he came down that he might bring heaven with him and begin to tell a new story? What if he might invite us to lean in, to get really, really close, to spend the night with him, to fall asleep in his arms, listening to his voice as he tells us our origin story. This is who you are. This is who I created you to be. This is what I've done for you. This is who I am and this is who I say you are. You are loved. and not just who we are, but to whom we belong. This is what it means to abide in Jesus' word, that we might learn the truth about who he is, about what he's done, and thus who we are and to whom we belong. This is where security begins to grow deep, deep in the heart of a man or a woman someone who would dare to believe that he's the one. He's the one. It's how we begin to um, learn how to love each other. Because this new story that Jesus is telling, it's the story of how Jesus uh, died that, that we might be loved. Like fundamentally loved. On our best and worst days. In Jesus, I am loved. Hannah, Howie, where'd you go? There you are, hello. You quoted uh, Romans 8, 28 this morning while you were praying. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? What is God's purpose? Romans 8.29, that we might be conformed or transformed into the image of his son. Not a slave, not a hired hand, not a minion, but a child of God. Romans 8.14 tells us that God puts the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption in our hearts, in our inner beings, that we might feel the story being told in our hearts. I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter. I am loved. I am loved. I have been forgiven. Oh, I've been forgiven. Oh, my goodness, I've been forgiven. More than I dare to fathom. I am loved. The people of God, the church, we get to participate in the retelling of the story. How cool is that? That super cool tech booth that Jared and Clay built in the back, it's not even quite done you guys wait what's the point what's the point what's the point of any of this what's the point of painting the walls what's the point of mowing the lawn what's the point of serving coffee what's the point of telling our neighbors about Jesus what are we doing what is the meaning of all this what is the purpose of all of this we're participating in the narrative we're with Jesus Retelling the story, the origin story, the true story of creation, God's vision for creation, or in our case, recreation in Jesus. And He's inviting each one of us, tell the story, sing the songs, tell the world. I'm telling a story. I want you to live in it and to begin participate in sharing it with others. This is why we're doing all of this stuff. This is why we're here. It's why we gather. Let's hear the story again. Let's lean in together. Let's abide in Jesus and say, Jesus, tell me the story again. Papa, do I look good? Am I handsome? Am I love today? Because I got to hear it every day. Tell me the story. And some of you have got these incredible gifts. You don't even know what you're supposed to do with them. Some of you are like the illustrators in this story that Jesus is telling. And you, and you create these these pictures this is who God says you are this is what Jesus has done this is this is what it looks like when heaven gets pulled down by God himself and we begin to experience relationship with our maker like never before And we get to tell the story you know that's your purpose in life to be loved and to tell the world that they are loved in Jesus come and listen to the story let's tell it together Let's make the soundtrack, let's sing the songs. You know why I like worship so much? It's because we get to sing the soundtrack of Jesus' story. And the louder we sing, the more the world gets to hear of this amazing story that God has invited us into. Some of you are like, man, I don't wanna sing and I don't wanna talk. I'm not that person, I'm not super um, extroverted or whatever that even means anymore but I'm really good at building stuff. And I like creating things, and I like diagrams, and I'm an engineer, and I, I call me a nerd, but like, that's what I'm good at. That's part of the story. That's part of the story. You get to create things that beautify the world and tell the world of God's glory. His creative genius, that's what this is. It's creative genius. Yeah. Maybe a bit of a stretch. But you get to use the gifts that God has given you to tell the story and invite others in. This is who you are. This is who you are. It's a story of hope. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of generosity. It's a story of mercy. It's a story of justice. It's a story of love winning evil. It's a story of the cross the story of friendship. Abide in his word. As you're sitting at home, listening quietly, perhaps thumbing through the pages of this ancient text, ask God the question, Father, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Can we stand together, please? So how brief was that? What was that? 20 minutes? Hmm. There's a million questions we could ask. Like what what do you do with this? What do you do? do? I, I bet you those who believe in Jesus were probably wondering the same thing when they finally parted ways. Like, what do we even do with this? I reckon we, we don't have to have all the questions answered. We don't have to have it figured out. We do need a vision. We need, we need it like a, a, a direction, some sort of a trajectory. And that's what I've tried to to articulate this morning Like this is the big picture This is God's dream This is his heart This is what we're doing here Maybe next week We can come back State of grace And we'll talk about Hey we need help With this or that And, and we've got this Really big vision and, and, and if you just look At the individual pieces Maybe it doesn't feel Super grand But when we all Do it together We, we're, we begin to tell the story An ensemble We get to sing the songs. We get to watch it leak out the the building into our other relationships and our families and our workplaces. And part of the adventure is figuring it out. Picking up our Bibles. Say, all right, here we go. Beginning of the year. See how far I get. My recommendation is when you get to the boring parts, just skip it. I mean you can always come back. (laughs) Take a class at Western Seminary. It's great. Like Tim Mackey will bring it alive. But just skip it. Find the parts where God begins to like, okay, this is it. Okay, I'm connecting. And eventually, trust me, read it long enough, meditate on it like deeply enough, and you'll come back to the quote-unquote boring parts. You'll be like, oh my gosh, like I get it. Oh my, oh my gosh, what a story. This is is like better than Lord of the Rings. Have you ever read Lord of the Rings? There's like some proper boring parts. It's like, dude, what are you on about? (laughs) When I read it, when I read it, I like to sing all the Elvish songs out loud (laughs) to the kids. And some of them are like multiple pages long. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Read the story and then ask yourself the question, ask God the question, God, who am I? Who am I? And how can I participate And the incredible origin story that you're telling in my life, in our world, in our church. Because I want in. I want in. And you go. You go. And the Holy Spirit leads you. And the adventure is grand. And sometimes it's boring. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's full of tears. Sometimes you just can't stop laughing. Because that's a good story. Father, help us. Help us, Lord. Thank you for coming down. Coming down to be lifted up. That you might close the gap. Welcome us home. Home. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Pour your love into our hearts and teach us what it feels like, what it sounds like, what it looks like to be your sons and daughters, to find great joy and obedience, even in suffering, to know hope, to know that in your story, love wins, death loses, the head of the serpent gets crushed. And all your sons and daughters get invited to the party. The great feast of eternity. Where we get to just tell the stories of your faithfulness forever. We love you, Father. Let's worship.